And then he's got his routines, his meticulous with his water bottle, where he walks on the line, his pre-service routine. So that's one, the way he manages anxiety. Release little bits of emotion where you can. Control the process really well. Welcome to Under the Lid, a podcast where we discuss skill development, mental skills, performance, and coaching. I'm Tom Scolle, and I'm the founder of Cricket Mentoring. And my co-hosts are former Australian Test cricketer, now professional coach Chris Bucky-Rogers, and Charlie Burke, who has previously been the director of cricket and head coach of Hong Kong, and a coach and talent specialist for Queensland Cricket. The three of us are great mates and regularly talk and share ideas about what we're learning to continue to better ourselves. This podcast aims to give you an insight into some of the conversations we have and hopefully answer some questions and issues that we're continually seeing or hearing. So let's get under the lid. G'day legends and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lid with Skulls, Buck and Berkey. This is the third and final part of our three-part series with Cricket Australia sports psychologist Peter Clark. If you haven't already listened to part one and two, then I highly recommend you go back and listen to them first, as Peter shared so many great insights into what sports psychology is, how we can all use our thoughts and emotions and learn to manage them to help us perform at our best more consistently. This episode is packed with more great advice, so let's get into it. One of the strategies, I guess, that, that I've learned uh, particularly uh, since I've been playing is, is this concept of actually writing down who are the people you want to surround yourself with? Who are the, who are the, the people that fill your tank? Who are the ones who, you know, put petrol in, in your tank to, to keep you going and, and keep you positive? So it's worth, I, I think, just as an experiment, just writing down who are the, you know, whether it be five, six people who actually are, are positive influences in, in your life and, and actually then trying to gravitate towards them because you, you're always going to get those pressures, aren't you, from it's going to happen, whether it be social media or, or, or whatever, but then just trying to steer clear of those pressures and, and kind of bring in the people who, who are very supportive a, a bit closer. So, yeah, it's something that I, I've definitely learnt and, and, and trying to, to, to push on to other people. But I just want to maybe could you give us... I'll give you an example. Uh, Brad Haddon was a player who used to throw up every time as he was about to walk out to the to the ground. You know, there'd be a bin there next to the door, and you'd kind of be standing next to him. All of a all of a sudden, you'd hear him throwing up. You turn around, and he's bent over the, the the bin. So, just extraordinary scenes, really. But everyone deals with it differently. But maybe who are the who are the players that you've seen who who have found out found their own way and and to, to deal with pressure and anxiety well and, and, and how have they gone about it? Um, good question. I'm always mindful of, of talking out of school, like particularly in my role, if you burn somebody's trust, you're out. So uh, I'm mindful of talking out of school about anyone in particular uh, or any specific things that they do without their, without their permission. But I don't know. I, I would just like to say I could maybe just comment from afar of somebody, some of the people I don't know. I don't you know. A really interesting one, you, know, you just pointed to Haddon. I'll point to Rafael Nadal who's known by a lot of his competitors as the, the most competitive guy, comes up in the clutch under pressure, all this kind of stuff. Um, and has actually confessed to being a really, he's one of the things I love about him, he's very open in, in the way he talks about, you know, how he's feeling and uh, whether he played well or not. So he always says, you know, he gets really nervous. And I love to watch him operate. One of the things he does is bring a lot, he has a very prescribed um, routine, uh, controlling his routine. And what he does is if you watch very carefully, he sporadically lets out that emotion or those nerves at various points in the match. So at the, front, at the beginning of the match, you'll see him sprint to the back of the court, run up and down, jump in and all this kind of stuff. And you might think, oh, he's just trying to show something to his opponent. Mate, that's releasing some nervous energy. 
right? if I've ever seen it. He's running, he's jumping, and it releases some nervous energy. And then he's got his routines, he's meticulous with his water bottle, where he walks on a lane, his pre-service routine. So that's one, the way he manages anxiety. Release little bits of emotion where you can, control the process really well. Um, you know, but then you'll see another person in a different sport do something completely different. Um, just look for an example. You know, we've just been watching, I'm sure everyone's been watching the last, da last dance with Michael Jordan. And, oh, he managed it. And again, I can't say whether he was nervous or not. He, he mentioned a couple of times in the doco when he was. But the way he went about it was actually setting challenges for himself. He would just say, this person said you couldn't do it. He picked fights with different people. And that's how he manipulated his emotions. He wanted himself to be charged up and to be angry-ish on the tilt almost to perform really well. Uh, again, completely different way of going about it from someone else. And you see all the basketball players, some of them got their headphones on, they want music to calm down. You know, other people are joking around and having a lot of fun. Other people are in the corner by themselves doing deep breathing. Um, bottom line is, there's no right, there's no one way to do it. And uh, what I just, I'd like to make sure I get this in. I'm not ignoring the importance of, of mental skills. Like, you know, if you train for sports psychology, you're going to hear about of visualization or imagery. You're going to hear about goal setting, progressive muscle relaxation, uh, mindfulness or, or tensional control. All these things are legitimate. Uh, psychological techniques. My point is when to apply them, how to apply them, what a person needs, that's always different. So that's why I wouldn't come on here and say, well, here, you need to learn imagery or learn this or learn that. A lot of those are important. What's actually most important is how you apply it to yourself. That's, that's awesome, mate. Um, so much gold here and we won't keep you for too much longer. Something that came up in my sort of thoughts when you were chatting earlier is, is the clear mind versus the blank mind. And a lot of people say to me when I'm coaching them, oh, I'm, I'm an overthinker. I overthink things. So does that just come back to them having processes that focuses their attention? Is that what that is that when they say they're an overthinker, they've just got a busy mind, they're thinking about lots of things, so they just need a clear structure or process to bring them into the present moment? Yeah, man, I would, I would suggest that, right? We can't always, so bottom line is you can't always control your thoughts. And when I say control, you can always influence them. You can't always completely control your thoughts. Like you have automatic control. Every time you want to raise your left hand, you can raise it. That's complete control. Uh, we don't have that kind of automatic, complete control of our thoughts. Otherwise, you'd only think good things. And that, that's not true. Um, and the same thing with your emotions. You don't have automatic, complete control. Like, you know, something, if you lose something that you love, whether it be a person or a value possession or a job, you're going to feel bad, right? You're going to feel a sense of loss. That is a fact. Um, you can't stop that from happening. So it's really important to understand you can't completely control your thoughts and emotions. And we're not trying to. What we do want to do, and to your point with the overthink, overthinkers, and this is where mindfulness of thought comes in, can you notice and see what you're thinking instead of getting caught in it? Can you notice, oh, geez, Pete, yeah, you're starting to overthink this here. Can you catch yourself before you do it rather than getting caught in overthinking? There's a really big difference. Like, gee, I'm noticing I'm getting angry versus I am angry, and so I'm punching people. Can you notice those thinking errors or emotional errors that you have in your mind? Um, and then if you can, as you said, how do I organize a really nice, clear routine that helps me direct my thinking? Using a cue word, um, using a really clear process that helps you talking to your partner, whatever it may be, how do I organize that thinking? So you, I think you've hit it on the head. Build a routine that helps me to organize my thinking. Notice when I'm not thinking about the stuff that I want to. I'm not fighting that or going, I shouldn't be thinking like this, just accepting it and redirecting that focus to what you do want to think on. Again, not an easy thing to do. I just want to take a quick break to let you know about our brand new online program that we've just released at Cricket Mentoring. 
Behind the Grill with Josh Philippi is an amazing insight into one of the most exciting young cricketers in the world right now. If you've ever wanted to get inside the mind and game of an elite player to see how they go about things, then this is your opportunity. Philippi has been tipped by Shane Warne and Steve Smith as the next big thing in Australian cricket. And in this seven part video series, he shares everything about his game, including his technique, game plans, mindset, preparation, and a whole lot more. Head to cricketmentoring.com and click on the online programs tab in the menu to purchase this program and start learning how the best in the world go about their game. Now back to this episode. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now you've just made me think of another question is I sort of think for me personally, when I think something that creates how I feel. So if I think a, a bad thought, I might get a bit tense or a bit anxious. If I'm thinking positively, I'll be more relaxed. Is there, how do you sort of teach or is there emotion-led people and thought-led people or are we all sort of thoughts control emotions? That, that, that's an interesting one. You know, whether it comes straight from a top-down, okay, I think well and I feel good and then I play well. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I guess at a certain level, your thought always comes first, even if it's an unconscious thought because your brain sends signals to every other part of your body, right? But in terms of conscious, deliberate thought, conscious deliberate emotion or conscious deliberate behavior i don't necessarily think it always starts with a okay i need to think good then feel good then play good i think sometimes your thinking is off and you feel off and you play really well and what that does is that influences your thinking for the next time to go oh shit i wasn't feeling great and i didn't feel good and i still perform well actually there's something to that so sometimes the behavior was different to the thoughts and emotions and that influences the next set of thought and emotions that you have um so I just think the more, rather than thinking of it, think, feel, act, is look at it as a cyclical kind of component. I think I feel and I act at various points in time. Where can I break this? If it's not going great, where can I break the cycle? And I think the easiest place to break the cycle is always with behavior. Um, I think that's always the easiest way to break the cycle because you may, again, I can't completely control my thoughts or completely control my emotions. I can influence them, but I can always completely control my behavior. So that's where I like to live. Like how can I... Make sure I'm always doing what I need to do um, and then manage and influence my thoughts and, and emotions through that. So uh, I hope that kind of answers the question. I think it's all related and you want to make sure they're all as functional as they can be. Your thoughts, emotions, behaviors, but it doesn't always have to be, all right, I'm going to think only positive thoughts and then I'll feel good. Sometimes the thoughts are off, sometimes the emotions are off, but the behaviors you can always control. That's, uh, that's awesome. That certainly certainly does yeah, answer it. I think that gives such good context to that sort of thing as well. I'm sure Buck's got more, but my final question is, you're, you know all this stuff, you've got all this um, psychology background, but you're also a head coach. How do you take this information to create your culture at um, your cricket club? What do you try and instill as behaviours or values with, you, with your guys and try and create an environment where they they don't feel too much pressure and they can play with freedom and, and really let their skill take over? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So one, the again, like I said before, I was lucky enough to walk into an environment um, that had some really successful players uh, and had a tradition of, of success in history. So it's not like I was creating it from scratch. And that would actually be really difficult. And I also had the privilege of being a player, getting the culture and understanding that. So then, you know, then becoming a head coach, that transition was a lot easier because I was a part of it. It's not like I had to make anything up from scratch. But in terms of my own personal philosophy around coaching, there's a, there's a theory called self-determination theory, which I, which I lean on pretty heavily. And it means that there's a relationship between competence, autonomy, 
um, relatedness. And if we can nail those things in, a, in a, any given environment, what it does is allow people to be intrinsically motivated uh, and to give the best account of themselves. So competence being how do you make sure people in your group know that they're good at something and good enough to achieve. So how do you make sure you demonstrate competence? That could be telling people. That could be making sure you do drills that demonstrate you know, that people can achieve, challenging, but they can achieve. Um, showing footage of when they did other things that were great. So how can I build competence in this group so they know they're good enough? Autonomy. How do you give people choice? If people always feel like they have to do what you say, play the way you want them to play, eventually they're not going to be motivated um, or give a best account of themselves. So where can you build an autonomy? Is it getting players to run sessions when you want them to run? Is it letting people come up with their own game plan, you know, about how they want to go about it and just making sure it fits in the team game plan? So satisfy autonomy as well. And then relatedness. People need to be related to the common goal and purpose of what they're doing and feel a sense of relatedness with each other and with you. If I can't relate to you, if they can't relate to me at all as, my, as their coach, it's going to be really difficult for them to take anything here. So how do I try and relate with them? And make sure that they feel related to a common goal or purpose. I don't always get that right, uh, for sure. There have been times where I've gotten it wrong, but that's something I try and lean back upon and go, actually, Peter, you missed the mark with autonomy, or you missed the mark with relatedness. You didn't connect with this person, or you know, you missed the mark with competence. That's a, that's a framework I try, and, I try and lean upon. But in terms of our specific club, uh, the culture that's been established over a long period of time is that the players run the club. We've always had a coach who's a current or just recently retired former player. We don't have a selection panel or board that picks teams. The captains pick the teams. Obviously, in consultation with the coach, but players run the club. They run training. Sometimes I'm not at training for two months because I'm away on tour, and things just run. You know, you still communicate from afar, but the players run the club. So that's what's special about UQ, in my opinion. Well, I have noticed you turn up to some UQ sessions in your Cricket Australia <laughs> kit as well. That that um, it has been known to happen, Pete. But. Um, <laughs> Mate, just we, I think we want to thank you for your time, mate. As Scott just sent me a, a private message saying you're a legend, and I agree. I always think of you as a as a, as a lion, and uh, as you sit there, I can see the the picture of the lion right behind you, mate. So um, I know it's your favourite animal, but mate, it's always brilliant to talk to you. I know like you, you've you've helped so many of the players that that I've worked with, and and not just them. I, you've been someone that's filled my tank as well. Um, I've lent on you for, for a lot of advice and on how to deal with a lot of these issues because a lot of the times they're, they're issues that we don't have a lot of uh, understanding around. You know, we're just kind of making it up as we go. So um, just want to say thanks so much for your time, mate. Um, I'm sure if I get a chance, I'll buy you another beer sometime. But uh, <laughs> good, good on you, Pete. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thanks very much, guys. I appreciate you having me on the, on the call. Uh, I hope it's been valuable for the people that listen out. And I also want to say great work for everything that you guys are doing, like just to be able to, again, none of us have all the answers, but to be able to generate some ideas and give people discussion points that they can go off and, and learn from, that's a really important part of the game. Uh, so, you know, great work to you guys for doing that. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Pete. I'll just echo what Buck said. This is the first time we've connected, but um, hopefully our listeners have learned something or many things. I know I have. You've created a bit of clarity for me and, um, it's been absolutely awesome. We could have kept going for hours. Um, you, yeah, it's been really, really interesting hearing your story and your thoughts and your theories and um, ideas. And hopefully, yeah, it can part, um, sort of impart a bit of wisdom to some of the younger players or older players who are listening to this podcast. So thanks, mate, and uh, best wishes for the future. Hope to see you. And I'll buy you a beer at some point as well. Cheers, guys. And I hope you don't miss out any jobs because you're too good looking, Pete. It would never happen. Never has, never will.
<laughs> Cheers, mate. Well, legends, that's the final of three episodes from our epic conversation with Cricket Australia psychologist Peter Clark. As I said at the start, if you haven't already listened to part one and two, then I highly recommend you go back and check them out as there were so many great learnings from those episodes that lead into this one. Here's the five key things that I took out of this episode. One, I loved how he gave practical examples of how some of the best athletes ever get themselves into a state to perform at their best with his examples of how Rafael Nadal manages anxiety and releases little bits of emotion and nervous energy where he can, while Michael Jordan picked fights with people as he wanted himself to be angry or on tilt, as that's what got him in the best state to perform. This is a reminder to anyone listening that even the best players get nervous and anxious. They just have very specific routines that they follow meticulously to manage their emotions. Two, I again love the practical examples of how in any professional team, prior to a match, some players wear headphones and listen to music, some are laughing and joking around, and some are sitting quietly in the corner on their own. This shows that there is not one way to do it and is a great example of how important it is for every athlete to understand themselves and learn what they need to do to get themselves in the best state to perform. Three, I found it really interesting when he answered my question about overthinking and how you can't always have complete control of your thoughts, but you can influence them and how we don't have automatic, complete control of our emotions. The goal is to see if you can notice and see what you're thinking instead of getting caught in it. For example, gee, I'm noticing I'm getting angry, rather than letting it get out of control and then punching someone, as he said. As a player, you should aim to organize a really nice, clear routine that helps direct your thinking to something that you want to focus on. You need to first accept a thought, then redirect your focus to what you want to think about. Four, thoughts, emotions, and behaviors are all interrelated, and because you can't control your thoughts and emotions, but can completely control your behaviors, the best place to focus on is your behaviors, and you can therefore influence your thoughts and emotions. And five, I loved hearing how the University of Queensland Cricket Club, the club that he's head coach for, allows the players to run the club. It's always great to hear how others go about their business, and as a successful club, it's a good insight for other clubs around the world. What are the main things you took out of this episode? As I've said before, understanding the theory is great, but more importantly, how can you start to implement some of those ideas into your cricket and your life? Thanks again to Peter Clark for his time and wisdom. I found his insights fascinating, and I learnt a lot myself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and the previous episodes with Peter. Stay tuned for another episode to be dropped very soon. If you enjoyed it, we'd absolutely love it if you can share it with some friends or teammates or whoever you think might also enjoy it. Share it in a WhatsApp group, on Facebook, your Instagram story, or just send someone the link. We want this podcast to give as much value as it can, so we'd love to hear your feedback. What did you find interesting or learn from this show? We also want to hear what topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. So send me a message via the Cricket Mentoring social media channels and we'll start shouting out the people who suggested the topics we're discussing. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Until then, stay safe, work hard, and always try to learn and be better than you were yesterday. And most importantly, smile and enjoy the process. Shop boy! Talk soon, legends.